Welcome to Astrology and Stuff, where we talk about serious subjects without taking ourselves too seriously. I'm your host and sacred clown, Sanpreeti. Thank you for being here. Seriously, guys, thank you for being here. Uh, We're three episodes in. I got confronted by a devil of an audio issue, and um, it was hilariously simple to fix. Um, literally it was a cord not being plugged in completely. And so, um, hopefully fingers crossed this episode, we won't be having any audio issues. I'm going to be knocking on my wooden table right now for that. (laughs) Uh, but first, before we get into the meat of the episode, I want to thank all of the patrons on my Patreon, um, for supporting the show. Thank you so, so much. Lovely. Uh, patrons. I wish there is a way to um, degenderize that word, but I know a lot of uh, podcasts, they they say, they call them matrions, but um, I don't know. Thank you. Whoever you are and however you identify and express yourself, thank you for being here. <laughs> thank you for supporting the show. Um, if you want to know how to support the show, um, <clears throat> excuse me, go over to my Patreon page uh, for astrology and stuff. Um, That's the name that if you search, type into the search bar on the Patreon website, you can find me there. You can also, if you're on Instagram, you can find me on Instagram at Sampriti Life. Um, And all of the links are in my bio there on my Instagram. And if you ever want to interact with the show via Q&As. I love that. Please, please, please send me those questions. I'm going to try my best to give you some A's. Um, Then you can use the Patreon uh, page message board to do that, or you can simply type in some questions uh, via DM on Instagram. But thank you for being here. Here is a little audio disclaimer. I am recording out in the middle of my house, not locked up in a closet anymore. So you're going to definitely hear more cat action, um, this hour. So you're welcome. (laughs) All right. So let's get into it today. We are covering, or we're beginning to cover because I have a feeling this is going to be a two-parter, the signs, the signs themselves. Um, in the beginning, in the first two episodes, we covered uh, some fundamentals of astrology, the whys and wherefores, and and utilizing them appropriately in our lives in a way that, and by appropriately, I mean in a way that actually supports us and not just simply gives us more work to do and more to stress out and neuroticize about. Um, and then we covered the housing system, the house system of houses, how we um, kind of collate and categorize 
the specific sections in our natal charts. Um, and now we're going to begin to cover the signs themselves. And honestly, I, I really think this is where the lion's share of us, the most of us, um, come into a relationship with astrology is through the signs. Um, and so that's what I want to talk about today. So what are the signs? That's, that's a, let's cover the fundamentals, right? Once again, um, the signs are, and again, this is my interpretation. You came here listening to, uh, to listen to my podcast, listen to my voice. I can only speak from my own experience and how I like to do things. So take this with a grain of salt as far as the whole, um, this is the way it is goes. Um, in my experience and in the way that I've been able to internalize what I've been taught so far, the, I, I like to interact with the signs best as archetypes. The signs are, uh, archetypes. They are in the, of themselves, they are categorizations. I really like to, I always go back to this kind of physical metaphor of their stencils. So if you think of a stencil, um, it's a certain something that is a very specific shape. It has a very specific design. And when you paint over it, I'm picturing spray paint. Um, when you paint through the stencil and you take the stencil away, that shape is going to remain whatever shape, whatever, the stencil wanted to communicate, um, that's the shape that's going to remain with the paint. The archetypes, uh, the signs as archetypes, I experience them as stencils through which our life force, not just us individually, but capital, like the royal we, you know, us uh, as a collective um, individual parts of a collective consciousness, that life force of that collective consciousness gets pushed through or expressed through or communicated through very specific stencils of archetypes that then produce a more, um, a more predictable picture, right? Um, if we want to think about it a little bit more energetically and fundamentally, what begins as chaos gets, you know, interacts with the archetype, with the zodiacal sign, and then that chaos gets kind of shaped into something with a little bit more form, a little bit more predictable function, and a pattern, right? Um, because if you if you watch Gaia TV, if you kind of go down the rabbit hole as far as like spirituality, far enough to go into sacred geometry. And honestly, you don't even have to approach it from a, a spiritual standpoint. You can approach it from a mathematical standpoint. Everything is made up of math, meaning everything is made up of numbers and patterns and sequences. There's nothing that exists that can be measured and arguably, we can say that nothing truly exists that can't be measured. Everything that does exist, exists because it can be measured in some way. Um, the, the measurability of matter 
um, it involves itself in in sequences and you know predictable functions. And um, if you zoom out wide enough, there's a repeating pattern, right? And that's <laughs> that's all astrology is. That's all the signs are <laughs> are are depictions of repeating patterns that people in the past have applied specific labels to, names and labels to, that we just continue to identify with and continue to use, okay? I.e. Aries, Taurus, Gemini. Now, a little aside, I think I spoke to this in the first episode. I'm speaking, again, from I, and therefore I'm speaking as a Western astrologer, okay? There are so many paths in language, different literal languages of astrology out there, Vedic astrology, uh, Chinese uh, medicine uh, involves itself, it communicates astrologically, um, Shintoism, Taoism, uh, all have a very unique take on what we're talking about, like the the archetypes and the the relationships between the planetary bodies, you know, the outer world and the inner world. Um, you can't throw you can't throw a stick very far on the earth without hitting something that is describing in its own particular language what we're talking about today. Okay, so I I have come to astrology. My particular language of astrology is you know, modern astrology, it's evolutionary astrology. We rely on labels and names and words and phrases and descriptions that are based in, um, Greek, Babylonian, uh, et cetera, uh, language. Okay. So, um, if you have, if you're listening to this and you have a Vedic astrological, um, foundation or experience, you know, obviously it's going to be different. I'm going to be describing something that's, you know, very different from your experience. So just taking that in. Um, so the purpose of the signs as archetypes in that we, when we engage with astrology as a mechanism to gain a better, um, experience, a more fleshed out experience of describing our, ourselves, describing our own experiences as souls within bodies, describing what we observe in the world around us in our through our relationships with others, through our relationships with with the natural world, etc. Um, the signs describe a continuity um, in that. They, it begins at Aries and it ends at Pisces. Just like there are 12 houses, there are 12 main signs. Obviously, there's, we can get into the 13th sign, not today. <laughs> I might just, I might just uh, do some research, some heavy duty research that I've been wanting to do for the past five years and dive into the 13th sign and devote an entire episode to it. We'll see. We'll see. Um, so there's 12 houses, there's 12 signs there, uh, and it begins at Aries and it ends at Pisces. Just like, let's bring it down to earth, uh, down to the 3D, just like, uh, in our culture, 
February always follows January. You know, the calendar year always begins at January. It always ends at December, okay? Spring always happens um, when the sun is at a particular degree in the sky and it starts coming up at a certain time of day. Um, That's how people used to describe time, (laughs) you know, day-to-day time and the cycles of seasons and days and months is they paid attention to where the sun was at a certain point. You know, obviously, um, lunar calendars work around the cycles of the moon, um, etc. So the we utilize in astrology, we utilize the signs as methods of categorization, okay? Um, when we're talking about, when we're, in relation, like when we're relating to ourselves or seeking to relate to ourselves with greater and greater vocabulary, when we're seeking to relate to situations in our in our lives or um, interactions with people, just a better way to describe people, or rather, a more more words to describe somebody, we have that in the signs because, again, all it is is a another layer, another resource with which to describe ourselves, our, our experience is within ourselves and our experiences with others in, in the outer world. Um, but a, aside from that, or alongside utilizing the signs as a descriptive tool with which to relate, there is a functionality. There's a, a chronological linear functionality when we talk about, I'm going to use Aries and Pisces a lot because it's the beginning and the end. Um, when we talk about Aries, we know that we're talking about the beginning of expression, the beginning of experiencing, because it is the, it's a reference to the first sign. And in Aries, and, I'll, and I'm going to dive into all, you know, 12 of the the um, of the signs, depending on how much time I take up, this first episode might be Aries through Virgo, and the second episode might be uh, Libra through Pisces. We'll see. Um, <clears throat> when we talk about Aries, um, we auto- we can automatically kind of shorthand when we when we layer our when we begin to learn more and more about the signs and layer in their planetary planetary correspondences etc we are able to develop a bit of a shorthand of understanding of like oh yeah aries sun speaking about myself aries sun she's she's got we know she's got fire that's that's just kind of what i was going to naturally say she's fiery well how the fuck do we know she's fiery just by knowing she's an Aries. Well, Aries is a fire sign. What does that mean? Um, Aries is a cardinal sign. What does that mean? Um, so that's what we're going to really get into today. Uh, the elements and the qualities and why we, um, why we utilize this in our language, in our understanding, in our comprehension, in our practice of astrology. Um, let me get to my notes. Signs as archetypes. Yep. Okay. So a little bit more about the word archetypes. Um, that's a, that's a very Jungian, Carl Jungian word, J-U-N-G. And, um, it really came into pop. He brought it into popularity as far as, you know, within the West 
um, the word, not the concept. Archetypes are as old as anything else, really, (laughs) simply because they are a function of describing matter, right? So for as long, by default, as long as matter has been around and sought to categorize itself um, through the laws of physics, archetypes have been around, okay? Um, But Carl Jung and um, um, Joseph Campbell... Uh, they go, they go pretty much hand in hand when we're talking about, um, the usefulness of archetypal thinking and, and categorization and being, um, but go, if this is kind of turning you on a little bit, whether it's through curiosity or whether you do know all about archetypes, uh, and you just want to go a little bit deeper, go Google that shit, go Google, um, Carl Jung and Joseph Campbell, uh, Joseph Campbell, probably specifically, uh, young can get pretty dry, pretty fast. Uh, depends on how much you want to nerd out. Um, okay. So let's get into the, the subcategorization of the signs, i.e. the elements and the qualities. Let's start with elements. So there are four elements that represent themselves within a uh, astrological description, fire, earth, air, and water, and they move in that cycle. Um, it's these four elements are broken up in you know throughout three sections, and they repeat: fire, earth, air, water. Fire, earth, air, water. Fire, earth, air, water. Fire signs: Aries, Leo, Sagittarius, and. Um, pardon me. I always think there's a fourth, (laughs) but those are the qualities. We'll get there. Um, earth signs (laughs) are, uh, earth signs are Taurus, Virgo, and Capricorn. Uh, your air signs are Gemini, Libra, and Aquarius. And your water signs finally are Cancer, Scorpio, and Pisces. Okay. So why? Uh, subdivide the signs by elements. Uh, it's just, it's, it's obvious and it's very broad. It's how, again, how we as humans find it most helpful to describe our experience within ourselves and with the world around us. Um, you know, pick up any book on ancient philosophies and uh, traditions and ancient people's descriptions of just that, their lives and the world around them and how the world works. And you're going to find elements. I mean, even now with, with our just ridiculously, um, detailed Western science getting into particle physics and quantum physics and well, not necessarily quantum, that's, you know, too small. We describe our world with the word elements, that the periodic table is full of elements. And that's, we understand that in science, these are the basics, right? That's why they're named elements, is they are elementary. These are the most fundamental, can't say the sentence without using the word, fundamental elements of our material realm, i.e., 
hydrogen, helium, uh, carbon, silver, gold, et cetera, et cetera. You can't break, if you try to break it down any more, basically, you know, break it down any further than the element, it ceases to be the element, right? It disappears. Its innate quality disappears. So of course, this major language of human uh, and metahuman <laughs> description would include elements. Um, that would be a part of the process. Um, fire signs, air signs, earth signs, water signs. Um, and then, of course, we use them in our day-to-day pop culture lives to, you know, throw shade at each other <laughs> and and celebrate our egos <laughs> on what we identify. Um, you, I see it, and I'm sure you see it and feel it. There is such a an ego boost uh, um, to like identifying and over identifying as X Y Z sign. Um, that's fun. It's fun. Like it's it's only when we take that too seriously that it ceases to become fun and it starts to become like harmful, self or otherwise. And the second um, the second kind of subcategorization uh, is going to be the quality of the sign. Um, folks coming into astrology are typically less familiar with quality than they are obviously like elements. So the qualities are cardinal, fixed, and mutable. There are three qualities, four elements, three times four is 12. There you go. There's my math for the day. Um, so these, each sign has both an element and a quality assigned to it, um, and so you have three fire signs. Mm. Yeah, you have three fire signs, each with, I see I had to think again, three fire signs, each with a particular quality. You have a cardinal fire sign, Aries. You have a fixed fire sign, Leo. And you have a mutable fire sign, Sag, Sagittarius. Um, same with every other element, okay? Um, earth elements, your uh, cardinal earth is Capricorn. Your fixed earth is, um, Taurus and your mutable earth is Virgo air signs. Your cardinal air is Libra. Your fixed air is Aquarius. That's the season that we're in now when I'm recording and your mutable air is Gemini. And then finally water your cardinal water is Cancer, your fixed water is Scorpio, and your mutable water is Pisces, okay? Um, so the quality describes, um, functionally, the quality describes where that sign shows up within the season, okay? So f- now that's our first um, our first foray into the inextricability of astrological language and earthly based, like being here on the earth experience, i.e. astrological signs when they happen is inextricably linked with what's going on seasonally in the earth. How is the earth expressing herself? Okay. Is she 
Is it springtime? Well, at the beginning of springtime, that's Aries season. At the beginning of summer, that's the, uh, that is um, Cancer season. At the beginning of autumn, that's Libra season. At the beginning of winter, that's Capricorn season. Aries, Cancer, Libra, and Capricorn are all cardinal signs. Cardinal signs are here to usher in, to initiate the season, okay? Um, There's a pioneering aspect to the cardinal signs. There's a head-first aspect there, and I have mostly cardinal energy in my uh, in my makeup, so I can definitely speak from I in this space. Um, there's an there's a do things now, ask questions later. Um, I love the term. It's so much easier to ask for forgiveness than for permission. <laughs> That describes uh, specifically Aries, uh, cardinal fire. Um, so cardinal is cardinal's vibe, if you will, quality is bringing in the new. Come on, guys, let's. What's next? Let's bring it in. Let's bring it in. Let's do this. Let's initiate. Get it. Get it done. Get it done. Get it done. Okay. Um, so again, cardinal signs: Aries, Cancer, Libra, and Capricorn. Um, and by the way, I live in the Northern hemisphere. So typically I'm going to all the time, I'm going to describe, uh, seasons in that way. Sorry, Southern hemispheres, uh, folks, we love you. Um, so the next quality is fixed and we, for the last year plus we've been in a nodal transit of fixed signs, i.e. North Node Taurus, fixed earth, South Node Scorpio, fixed water. Fixed signs, um, if cardinal signs begin the season, what do fixed signs do? Where do they show up? Right smack dab in the middle. They are not tasked with either initiating the season nor releasing the season, okay? They are tasked with being their damn selves to the nth degree. Okay. They, they've got nothing to do, but be. And I'll tell you one thing. I don't have a lot. I don't have a lot of fixed. I have a Jupiter and Scorpio. I have some, I have a Jupiter and Scorpio, a Venus and Aquarius and a Chiron and Taurus and no Leo, no planets in Leo. Um, so compared to the, the mutable and the cardinal, I have way less of fixed. And so this is something that is less um, immediately intuitive for me and has been much more fun to kind of learn as I experiment and experience astrology. Like, oh yeah, you know, just pay attention to how I, how do I deal with Leo energy? How do I deal inside of Aquarius season? And honestly, this last nodal transit being in fixed nodes, has been really, really helpful for me with that because it just, you've got a whole, instead of like 30, you know, degrees, uh, uh, 21 days in the fixed, with the sun in the fixed sign, you got a year and a half with the nodes, like your environment kind of coming at you at all angles with that fixed energy. And especially like as a cardinal, you know, ruled person, 
man, the patience, the trust. It's almost like before this nodal transit, I didn't know what self-trust was. Um, Because the mechanism of trust as it relates to, specifically self-trust, as it relates to fixed signs and the expression experience of fixed signs, it's like, I don't have to run anywhere. I don't have to exert. There's not this huge push of energy that is directional either forward or kind of backward. It is simply all of the energy is directed here now. And, and that energy in, in order. So the expression of that, like what happens with that is that you simply continue, like you, you continue to have energy directing here and now, here and now, here and now, here and now, here and now. And what does it do? It simply amplifies because it's, it's moving in a, in a limited, more limited area compared to cardinal immutable, you get to amplify the here and now. You get to amplify whatever choice you've made in the moment, whatever you find yourself identifying as in the moment. It's not really going anywhere anytime soon. And that's the point. It's like, oh, I'm still, I'm still here. I'm still working with this energy. Oh, how much bigger can it get? How much brighter can it get? How much more, how much deeper can it get? Hello, fixed water Scorpio. Right? So there's there's an extraness to the fixed signs that I really, really love. Um, and it's an extraness that allows for patience, allows meaning, gives you a lot of opportunity to develop. <laughs> um, but no, that's that's those are the fixed signs, fixed earth, again, Taurus fixed. Uh, fire is Leo, fixed water is Scorpio, fixed air, Aquarius. And then we move into the mutable signs. So we've covered the initiating of the season, the, the, the enveloping ourselves within the season, like really deriving the richness of the here and now. And now we're tasked with letting go. Okay. Cause we can't stay as, as much as like fixed signs love the here and now, we also live with impermanence. We live with the only constant being change and evolution, i.e. there's nothing new under the sun and everything's a giant cycle and cycles within cycles, but we are never the same. You know, you, know, you can never step into the same river twice. Okay, it's different. And the same goes with the the passage of of our experience of time. And okay, here's a real deep thought. What if our experience of time it's it's not externalized? It's that's a we say my experience of time as a way to externalize, really it's just our experience of ourselves constantly changing. And time doesn't exist, but we do. And we are constantly changing. So we just invented time to describe that fact. All right. I promise you, I did not do any macro doses of anything before I got into this. This is just the approaching Pisces energy coming my way and super vibing with my Pisces ass moon and Mercury and Midheaven. (laughs) 
So y'all are getting it good. <laughs> so mutability, what is mutability? That, that quality of letting go, the quality that not just embraces, like it, mutability can't embrace change because in order to embrace something, you have to externalize it. Mutability is change. Mutability simply is the act of morphing from one thing, being able to morph from one thing to another, adaptability, um, kind of taking it all in. Um, there is a, I'm going to scooch my chair real quick. Um, there is a, an aspect of mutability that I don't know if anybody else experiences because I haven't read anybody say this yet or encountered it online or anything like that or in classes that um, mutable, mutable signs as the signs that end seasons, they, they are the signs that they're almost like the wisest of the signs. And because of that wisdom, they operate with adaptability and changeability because that wisdom imparts to them experience levels of like, well, the kind of just the experience, like think of yourself now and think of yourself 10, 15, 20 years ago, like how rigid you would get in certain areas of your life um, versus how you're able to just kind of let go of shit because the wisdom of your experience, literally just the amount of time that you've had here has taught you that it doesn't matter. And, and you don't have to a level, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter enough to have that same, you know, been out of shape attitude about it, that rigidity that you had before. So the rigidity melts away and adaptability is automatically what takes that, what takes the rigidity's place. That's mutable. Mutable's been here the whole season. Um, and, and has seen everything go down, everything go on. And it's like, oh, I look at all this treasure and this wisdom that I have from the beginning and the middle parts, uh, decans of, of these signs or these seasons. And now that I'm at the tail end of it, here's what I want to take with me. Here's what I've learned. Here's what I want to let go of. And here we go into the next thing. How exciting. Um, there's definitely a nostalgia to the the mutable signs, most of all, the mutablest of the mutable, Pisces, the not just the last sign in its season, but the last sign in the cycle itself. Um, there's that nostalgia that nostalgia happens when you open your heart so widely that you can take in everything that everything that is, everything that you are, everything that your quote unquote past, has informed you to be in this moment, that's that's nostalgia, but it's also nostalgia wouldn't exist without love and uh, observation and attention and intention and um, and experience. So that those are the qualities. Again, let's recap the elements, fire, earth, air, water. I feel like Captain Planet. Um, and then the qualities, cardinal, fixed, and mutable. And every sign is both an element, can be described both as an element, 
with an element and with a quality. Okay. And, but with that combination, every sign is different. Super, super cool. Cardinal fire is very different from mutable fire. Um, okay. Lots of ums today. Sorry about that guys. So let's start with Pisces. No, let's start with Aries. I was looking at the word Pisces. <laughs> let's start with Aries. Um, Aries is cardinal fire. Aries begins the energetic and seasonal year, i.e. if you're, um, yeah, cause honestly it's, it's hard. Like one person experiences the beginning the, the new year as like the beginning of winter, you know, the death of autumn has happened. And so the, the beginning actually starts with the gestation, the pregnancy, the winter. I get that. I totally, totally get that. And, and then on top of that, you go, if you subscribe to the beginning of the cycle as the first day of spring, um, it's the birthing. There's like a more literal birthing. So like, oh God, we're back in that conversation. Where does life actually begin? Is it at conception or is it at birth? Ugh, I spent too many years, you know, debating that. So <laughs> I'm just going to leave that there. For our astrological purposes, obviously the Zodiac begins at Aries, not at Capricorn. But you see what I'm saying as far as like, you can't, you, you can only go so far in describing and experiencing the Zodiac without describing and experience the natural world that the Zodiac actually describes. So, but let's start with Aries. Cardinal fire, March 18th, 19th, 20th, 21st, 22nd, sometimes, um, depending on what year it is, etc. Aries ingress. Ingress means entering, beginning. Um, Aries is the beginning of the beginning. I experience Aries as an infant, um, with, and so when I describe the characteristics or encounter the characteristics of Aries, it's with the, I visualize just the sacredness and the wholeness of an infant and the newness of an infant. And, and especially when we're encountering astrology as a way to understand ourselves, Let's, I love, I love, I love, um, encountering the astrological signs first and foremost with a basis of common sense expectations. Okay. Uh, specifically for Aries, um, I'm not, Aries wants to know everything. Aries wants to be able to do everything. Aries of, of course can be described as impatient because of Aries' thirst to be, to self-identify, because they just got here. And oh my, so think of a baby, think of an infant, that that infant is just the most sophisticated little sponge that you will ever, ever, ever meet, okay? Based on neuron development, um, fetuses in their, you know, the last bit of the pregnancy and then infants within, um, you know, the first 40 to 90 to hundred days of their life. Um, and then 
stretch that out through the first seven years of life, based on neurodevelopment alone, those are the most intelligent, neuron development, those are the most intelligent beings on earth, simply with the speed that they put shit together and the speed at which their brain is developing. If you want to base intelligence on neurological and neurodevelopment activity and neurochemical activity, baby's got us, baby's got, you know, heads and shoulders above Stephen Hawking and all of the other quantifiably, you know, genius adults living in the world. Baby's got them beat by a billion, okay? So just because a baby cannot communicate that intelligence in the same way that you communicate intelligence doesn't mean that it's not there, okay? But let's talk about the expectations that we put on infants, okay? Um, Not many, hopefully, if you're a healthy individual, um, not many. You don't expect an, an infant to be able to, you know, pick up a fork and dress itself and... Um, feed themselves and 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 speak to you um, in in a language that you understand and are able to communicate back to you. No, um, they just got here. They just got here. However, the desire to do literally all of those things is at its peak. When they are, when when we are all infants, we our drive to survive, our drive to connect a little bit later on, like immediately, it's that drive to survive. Baby's gonna cry when it is hungry, when it is uncomfortable, when it's in pain, um, when it's having trouble, when it's when it's feeling neglected. I.e., that's that's. Uh, it's not experiencing the appropriate level of safety. And, um, and so it's going to cry when it's feeling neglected. Pay attention to me. Feed me. I, I need you. Please, please pay attention to me. Pay attention to me. Pay attention to me. All because of that driving desire to survive. Now, a little bit later on in development, as the baby develops, those desires and drives for survival become more nuanced and sophisticated. So the baby then, you know, um, as neurons continue to develop, that nuanced and and, um, uh, more detailed way of surviving starts to express itself with like, oh, this, I really want to, I can see you, mommy. Um, you know, past 12, 18 inches. Cause when infants are first born, they, they can basically only see as far as from roughly from the breast to the face. And, um, and then as the baby grows, it, it gets a little bit sharper. And so we get a little bit more sophisticated and a little bit more nuanced in how we, how we derive safety and connection. Um, and it becomes more, I, I can recognize on by your facial expression or by the way that you spoke that you are unhappy or that you're upset. And because you're, primar- you're my primary resource for happiness and nourishment, et cetera, I'm now upset too. And so the emotional, um, the, the psychophysical, emo- chemical, emotional, uh, um, components really start to integrate uh, within themselves. 
So we wouldn't, with relating it back to Aries, we have the the probably I would argue the the most intense um, way of experience, the most in, the highest intensity of life force, the highest intensity of of desire within Aries mixed with the least level of, of experience. Okay. So we've got the greatest desire with the least level of experience. Um, so just like with an infant and I'm going to relate to Aries as I relate to myself. Um, cause I don't have another Aries in my close relationships. Um, that's probably for the best <laughs> now that I think of it. <laughs> um, so being gentle with the baby, you got to be gentle with the baby. You've got to be in the moment with the baby. You've got to be self-aware. You've got to be very aware of what you're projecting onto the baby as far as expectations. And so relating to Aries, um, it's okay to, it's okay for Aries to mess up. It's okay for, you know, what kind of expectations am I holding to this infant of a sign. Okay. And honestly, any expectations held to that infant of a sign are just a waste of time because we're missing the point. Maybe we're missing, I would posit, we're missing the point entirely. Maybe the point isn't the level of experience. It's the level of life force. It's the level of fire of cosmic spark. The fact, like when you're holding a baby, especially if you're holding your baby, your infant, you're holding a body that is as close to soul level as you can possibly get. Like that spirit just got embodied. That soul just got embodied. I'm not even talking like spiritual terms. I'm talking like, like human life terms, like they just got here. Where the fuck did you come from? Like, how did that happen? Like basic physical mysteries that we've been asking and trying to answer for millennia. Right. Um, so with Aries really just, I really like to teach and, and I teach from how I experience. Um, let's not, let's not fool around. Let's not waste our times with demanding more of Aries from like a, uh, a maturity level and simply focusing our, as we interrelate with, with Aries, focusing our attention on the life force. Like what fire are they injecting into this moment right now that is making my life better, you know? And as an Aries son, so fucking, it's so frustrating it's so frustrating at the shiny, shiny quarter or squirrel syndrome that I've get. And especially in the 10th house, like there's always a new shiny thing to iterate and to innovate and to get into and to a new mud pit to play in and to get dirty in and to just like, you know, fuck in. It's that's very, you know, Aries. Ooh, life. Sorry. I still don't know how to um, mute that text alert on my laptop. Sorry about that. So it's, as I, um, if you're an Aries, you know, listening to this, or if you, if you 
love an Aries or are loved by an Aries and need a support group, here you go. Um, focus on what the fire is giving you on that pure sense of vitality. And if you are an Aries, um, it's, it's a big deal to heal from the whole you're too much conversation. That's a really big deal. The worry of being too much. Um, and we'll, we'll get, we can get into that when we talk about the Aries Libra access, access, I should say. Um, because oftentimes when we are worried, when we are censoring ourselves and making ourselves smaller or not even like consciously doing that, but kind of hating on ourselves internally because we feel so fucking hard or we just vibrate so fucking hard or we burn brightly, um, then it's, it's, a, it has a lot more to do with uh, emotional and relational security than it does with us feeling like we're just too much fundamentally. Okay. I.e. it's maybe it was codependency all along. <laughs> um, all right, let's move on. Um, give me a second. Hold on. Let me, what else did I want to say? Okay. So yes, within the house, Sorry, Aries within the houses, Aries rules the first house. So when you look at your natal chart, you're going to pay attention to your first house. And even though, like me, for, Cancer rules my first house, Aries does not. But I know when I look at that first house and I see my North Node in Cancer in my first house, I know there's, um, even though that North Node work is expressing itself primarily through the archetype of Cancer. There's Squint trying to talk to kitties outside. <laughs> Sorry about that, guys. Um, there's going to be even deeper, a fundamental, because it's it shows up in the first house, there's an Aries vibe there. Uh, there's a beginner's vibe there. And as again, as a beginner, that's where you've got so much life force. You know, it hasn't been leached out of you by, by the rest of your development right? You're here in the beginning. You're coming in, guns a-blazing, okay? So first house, Aries. Let's talk planets. Mars rules Aries. And we're going to talk, we're going to devote, I'm devoting in a whole episode or two specifically to the planets themselves. This is simply the planets as they uh, relate to the signs, you know, that they rule. Mars rules Aries. Mars is that... Um, in general astrology and, uh, excuse me, in general mythology, Mars is the god of war, yes, but as that relates to um, the bigger picture, Mars is the god of war because, um, because there's a combination of so much life force energy and self-actualization, call to self-actualize, that... Because we live in this world, because we live in time and space, we aren't everything. We are constantly bumping up against other things, i.e. limitations, limiting forces uh, that put necessary and natural limits on our beingness, our, our self-actualization, that the experience of like consistent, like being a fireball and consistently coming up against a container that limits that fireball from taking everything over, that's war. That is war. When the fireball, when the God Mars, when, you know, when this part of ourselves, this 
whoosh, explosive, all actualizing, all initiating life force, wants to fuck everything, um, you know, impregnate everything, propagate everything. There's limits to that. We can't do that. We're not supposed to do that. That's not balanced. That's not right. It's not fun. It's not pretty. Um, so what's the experience of like that life force being limited? It's war. It's war. And if we get a little bit more, you know, nuanced in that term, um, in that way of conceptualizing that squeak was me spraying the water bottle at the cats. Um, just so you know, um, the, the, the act of war it allows us to engage with limiting forces in life that don't necessarily need a whole lot of diplomacy. Maybe we're being not just limited by gravity. Why can't I fly? Well, gravity, you're limited by gravity. Um, We're being limited by unhealthy mechanisms. And it takes that fire to, you know, if that fire of self-actualization in the face of unhealthy limiting mechanisms, it's going to, it's going to call for a war. That part of us is able to show up for ourselves. It's able to fight for that soul level self-actualization and it's powered by the desires of the soul. So, um, even though Aries is, so Aries is ruled by Mars and, Mars and Pluto, uh, this is spoken of most specifically within evolutionary astrology, Mars and Pluto have a very special relationship. And, you know, both are in traditional astrology and modern astrology. These are the two planets that rule the sign of Scorpio, okay? Um, In traditional mythology, Mars rules Scorpio in modern and evolutionary astrology, Pluto rules Scorpio, but the, for our, our, for Aries and therefore for the planetary ruler of Aries, Mars, Mars has a very special relationship with Pluto. Pluto, we could think about as the soul, the soul, the limitless part of ourselves that is, um, you know, it's looking to embody for very specific purposes. It's looking to incarnate, have incarnations in order to gain specific experiences and have specific sensations and just do shit that a soul can't do when it doesn't have a body, right? And so Pluto, our soul, looks at, it's getting, we're getting ready to incarnate. And it's like, how do I want to do this? What am I most interested in? The incarnation comes from the specific desires of the soul. Okay. The incarnate, the natal chart is kind of the 2D representation of those specific, how those specific desires, how the soul wants to go about the incarnation, um, uh, fulfilling those desires. Okay, and it sets up the natal chart specific to those desires to get those desires met. Mars is the physical manifestation. It's the it's the I call it the boots on the ground, right? If Pluto is like the the general in the ivory tower and the emperor in the ivory tower, then Mars is the the boots on the ground that actually goes out and gets shit done. 
Okay. So there's a, a communication, there's a relationship between the planet Mars and, and, um, Pluto between your physical, your somatic self, your life force force. That's a word for, that's the word for a reason. It's a force. It pushes, it expands, it penetrates, um, between that part of yourself and the limitless part of yourself, the part of you that sees all there's nothing hidden from vision, but it also feels nothing. Okay. So in this way, the soul and the body come together to get the the, the most detailed possible experience ever. No wonder <laughs> in Tibetan Buddhism and a, a few other lineages, they teach, like if you're sitting in a room, they're like, in a square foot, you've got X amount of million souls that are packed into that square foot. And that's how many souls that are, are waiting to get into a body. Like these souls are just packed stem to stern and they, they're waiting to enter a body because this is such a, um, an envy at like people, these souls are, are absolutely, this is the most delicious experience for them in, in so many ways. Um, okay. So squint buddy, it's okay. Um, so the next, uh, let me wrap up Mars. Um, yeah, that's all I wanted to, to say about Mars. Um, and therefore that's all I wanted to say about Aries for today. So the next sign, uh, Taurus, we get into, um, the earth. Okay. So we move from the element of fire to earth. And this is a very interesting, um, kind of communication of energy. Um, by the way, we, we gender, we derive, um, or we uh, apply the two genders that we use to describe matter so far. Obviously, that's a growing conversation, and I'm he- all here for it. Um, masculine and feminine, we describe specific energies, okay? Masculine energies are penetrative, projective, expanding, and feminine energies are um, receiving and, um, surrounding and they are, um, yeah, they are the space into which that masculine energy penetrates, right? They receive, they open. Um, and so Aries is a fire sign. All fire signs are masculine or projective, expansive. Um, all air signs are also masculine. Earth and water signs are feminine, and again, I'm not applying human gender to these. <laughs> these are these are words, and in this time, we're very limited by the the engendered language. Um, so as we as we evolve our language, I will be evolving mine. Um, so we move from a masculine fire, cardinal fire, uh, Aries, into a feminine fixed Earth of Taurus. This is really. This is incredible because the way that we can describe it um, as like the development, um, we move from like the infant, just like this firebrand of human form. I, I'm here to self-identify Aries into, okay, I've self-identified. What are my resources? 
how do I continue to amplify? How do I build on to the the purpose and the act of self-identification in the previous sign? And in order to do that, I need to sit still. I need to sit still. I picture... Um, I picture a, a beautiful Ferdinand the bull or a cow in the middle of a beautiful flowery field. And that, that is the job of Taurus, is to consider the moment and apply the present moment to the present place. And this starts in the body. So in Aries, we have the, you know, not necessarily the ego, but the identification of self. And in Taurus, we have how that gets embodied. And by coming into relationship with our body, we are coming into relationship with our very first primary fundamental resource, the body. And so right now we find ourselves in Taurus North Node. Okay, so we're all doing a lot of, there's a reason you're hearing the word embodiment or embodiment work all over the fucking place ad nauseum. It's because as a collective, we're all being called to direct our attention back to the body, back to our primary resource. And then that's as within, that's the microcosm. When we apply the so without, the macrocosm, it's the body of the earth, Okay, the natural resources of the earth that we live on, very literally the body of the earth. Okay, um, Taurus is that that energy is meant to be very very focused on self, on the resources of self, to experience self as a resourced being. Okay, so whatever scarcity issues we are working through or we are being confronted by, this will automatically trigger or engage this Taurus part of our development, okay? Um, As a fixed sign, it's right smack dab in the middle of spring. So if you think if you're in the Northern Hemisphere or anywhere that you are in spring, but if you're in the Northern Hemisphere, the middle of spring is Taurus season. And Things, um, at least here in North Carolina, things have already kind of budded. Some things have budded, are budding in tourist season, but mostly you're just surrounded by just, it's, it's so lush. It is so lush. It's not lush like summer where things have been like in bloom and in full leaf. Um, it's lush as in birth is everywhere. Life is everywhere. The, the obviousness of life is everywhere. And so it's almost like Taurus yells at us every year, like, what the fuck are you worried about? Life, okay, Dr. Ian Malcolm, life finds a way. Life found a way. <laughs> and it, life can't not find a way. That's our most primary resource, natural resource, right? And as an earth sign, this fixedness is fixated on material, on literal earth, yes, but also on money, on anything that helps us bring um, idea into material, right? Anything that helps 
uh, is involved with the act of materialization. That is, that is fixed earth. Okay. Um, and if you study the tarot, uh, specifically like the Thoth tarot, you'll know that, um, um, the princesses and the, the earth element, it's way at the bottom of the, the tree of life, right? It's the last stop before things get, um, re you know, transmuted back into energy. And as a result, like in our hierarchical thinking, earth has been, we're kind of programmed with this. We might not be conscious of it, but we're definitely programmed with it unconsciously that earth is the, the dirt. It's dirt. It's dirty. It's, um, it's, if we are on a spiritual path or if we are on a path of enlightenment or of self-illumination, um, and transcendence, then we don't want to be in earth because earth is bad and earth is, um, even if we don't call earth bad, it's dense and we want to be up here in the less dense realms. We want to be high vibe, high vibrational. Earth is not high vibrational. Earth is a high density, low vibrational element. Okay. So what also this Taurus North node, um, transit that we've all been going through, it's been triggering, especially for those of us in the eight to nine year generation of having uh, Chiron and Taurus, we're healing all of that shit of that. It could be through religious programming. It could be through non-religious, but religiously based programming of, of culture of that, you know, these bodies, they don't really matter. It's our minds that matter or in, you know, the more religious circles, it's our souls that matter more than the body right? We've put a, we've put a valued price tag on our body and on our minds and on our souls. And the body's the cheapest one. It's the least valuable one. It's all over new age, um, culture. It's all over ascension culture. Um, it's, and I'm sick of it. It's, it's not sustainable and it's not, it's not that it's wrong. Nothing's right or wrong fundamentally, but it's just not the whole story. Everything we are, we meant what Taurus has taught me, um, most specifically is that we're all here for a reason here, meaning in our bodies. So how much of this life are you going to actually spend actually embodied, actually in your body? And that requires us to, um, relate to the body and relate to our natural resources um, as something as valuable as something that is resources. Taurus is only the second sign of the Zodiac. We can't, we're going to be eternally arrested in our development. Um, unless we deal with this shit, unless we deal with the, the here and the now. Okay. Wow. That was a rant. Um, so Venus is the planet that rules Taurus. Um, and Venus rules two uh, zodiac signs, Taurus and Libra. Um, we'll talk about Libra next time. Um, Venus is, uh, as the ruler of Taurus, is the planetary embodiment of us coming back into our own embodiment. She is the planet of sensuality. She is the planet of our values, Okay, Taurus rules the second house in our charts. This is where we, that's our relationship with money, making our own money, making, you know, coming into relationship with our own talents, 
our own natural resources and making some bread with that shit, right? Figuring out how it is valuable. How am I valuable? What is my worth? And we were so far deep into this healing culture that any conversation around self-worth is automatically going to be tinged with, here's how I'm here. Here's how I have low self-worth. Let's evolve from that. Obviously we're all doing our work. Yes, yes, yes. Me, maybe most of all, but, um, but also I'm seeing kind of the, the boredom and the stagnation that can really come from continuously fooling ourselves into believing that we have issues with self-worth. It's like the more we pay attention to issues with self-worth, the more we identify with those at this point. Let's just pay attention to how about, I would invite, we spend just as much time, maybe a little bit more time than the other thing, paying attention to what we actually value. Pay attention to the values that you have. Maybe not so much trying to change the values that you have. Just bring awareness. Um, Venus forces us to do this. And Venus, um, and especially like Venus transiting Saturn, really forces us to do this. Um, so the the last month, within the last month, Venus was in Aquarius and Saturn's been in Aquarius and Venus transited Saturn. And, um, and it's just kind of this reckoning of like, what? Do, yeah, but what do you desire? What do you desire? What do you find to be valuable? And it, it just has had in the last year or so, it's just had this really incredible way of deconstructing or illuminating um, patterns of codependency that I don't think any of us realized were actually codependency. We just thought it was the way to live. Like we live our lives through other people's desires in order to feel safe in relationships. And yeah, go talk to your therapist about that one. (laughs) I certainly have. So Venus, as the planetary ruler of Taurus, wherever your Venus is, whatever sign it's in, she's in, whatever relationship she has to the other planets and points in your natal chart, that is going to, she's going to um, help you embody your values. What do you find valuable? And that's first and foremost, it has to happen internally first in order for that to be reflected back to you externally. So first it's this focus on what do I find valuable um, just as myself, not about myself, my self-worth, blah, blah, blah. No, what do I like? What do I, what, what feels good? What feels good? What's beautiful to me? What sounds beautiful to me? What tastes good? Venus is the embodiment of our values via our senses. Sensuality is not just important, it's central. Sensuality is central to the human condition and therefore to the human improvement. You know, wanting to improve your condition, get deeper in touch with your senses, pay attention to what feels good, what looks good, what sounds good, what smells good, what tastes good, and bring more of that into your life. Okay? In fact, you don't even have to try because Venus is that feminine magnet, right? That feminine magnetism, it's, it's the feminine energy. It receives, it receives, it draws to. It draws the penetrative force to 
themselves. Okay. So embodying your second house, embodying your Venus, embodying wherever Taurus shows up in your chart is enabling you to get way more comfortable with your magnetic power. And that takes a lot of work because it doesn't, it's not about efforting. It's not about penetrating out there. It's not going to it. It's about allowing it to come to you and being the force that that thing out there will come to. Okay. So getting clear with your values, getting clear with, um, with your desires, getting clear with your sense through via your senses. Um, because when you get clear with your values, Venus as the planetary ruler of Libra is the planet of relationships. And honestly, that's all being in relationship with something outside of ourselves is it's the chance for those internal values that we clarified in Taurus to be reflected back to us via the world around us. It's like um, the evolution of, oh, damn, I love flowers. Oh, I love flowers. I value fresh flowers. Um, And especially in the winter, I value fresh cut flowers in my house. I love seeing that. It makes my body feel good. I feel something in my body when I see fresh cut flowers. So that's the Taurus identifying the value. The Libra um, is what's my relationship to these flowers? What am I going to, what do I need to do to bring more of that value, you know, uh, live in that, in alignment with my values, you know, in order to live in alignment with this value that I have, I got to go buy flowers or I got to plant some flowers. Um, and thereby, what am I doing? I'm spending money. I'm spending time. I'm spending my energy or manifestations of my energy, i.e. money. Um, on this thing that I value because I want to be in deeper relationship with it. Pardon me. I don't know how to pause the mic yet uh, so that I can take a sip of water. Um, so that is kind of how that Venus bridge bridges the Taurus to the Libra. The Taurus is the Venusian experience internally, the Libra is the Venusian experience externally. Okay. Um, second house, you have planets in your second house, you know, planets in Taurus. Um, these are all going to be planets that allow you to embody the journey of getting, getting clear in your own desires, getting comfortable with communicating them, getting um, comfortable in your own bodies sensually, like your own uh, getting really good at, at using your senses and utilizing the power and the intelligence of your somatic senses. Somatic meaning body. Um, the sen- sensuality is somatic intelligence uh, and communication. And therefore, in the way that it comes up a lot in pop culture astrology is money. You know, the second house, Venus, Taurus, is, um, it's our money story. So, and, and that is because we utilize money as a, 
a way to materialize the concept of value, right? So, all right, guys, I am losing my voice a little bit, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop the episode here at merely two signs in. Look at me thinking I would get at least six signs in. <laughs> That's cute. <laughs> but yeah, I've been talking for longer than an hour and I've already recorded another, the bonus episode, uh, earlier this morning. If you're on Patreon, you can check that out, uh, for this weekly transit talk of February 13th. Um, but yeah, I'm going to put a pin in it right there and I will be back, um, next Wednesday with, uh, more sign talk and, as I don't have to do any of like the intro, I'm definitely going to get to way more than two signs next week. So there you are. Um, if you want to support the show or get in touch with me again, um, head over to my Instagram, uh, at some life. Uh, you can also visit my website, astrogeomantica.com. You can visit my Patreon page for astrology and stuff, that podcast, this little old podcast. Um, I have two tiers up there. You can um, donate $3 just to be uh, fantastic and awesome and help this show keep going. Uh, You can donate $5 a month if you want those bonus episodes. And I'm still trying to get on Apple Apple subscriptions and... uh, that is hard. So I'm going to figure out, um, I've got a little bit more time this week than I did the last two weeks. So I'm going to figure out how to troubleshoot some of that stuff so I can get, uh, if you're listening on Apple's, uh, Apple podcasts. Uh, so if you want to, you could have the option to subscribe for $5 a month and get those bonus episodes. So stay tuned for that. Thank you for being here. So that's it for this episode of Astrology and Stuff. You can come back each Wednesday for new episodes, and you can also have a way to get weekly bonus episodes on my Patreon page. Just search Astrology and Stuff Podcast. Bonus episodes are weekly peeks into the planetary transits where we can get into the astrology of the week and how that may be affecting you in your neck of the woods. Each episode of Astrology and Stuff is written, recorded, edited, and mixed by me, Sempriti Ireland. The music you hear is an original work by Angel Wing. And again, thank you for being here.